Thank you, Karen. A beautiful offering to the Lord this morning. Great to hear our young adults and our students singing praises unto God. And for so many Sundays now in a row, we've enjoyed the blessing of hearing our students and young adults singing. Today, I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I had a, a New Testament theologian uh, at seminary uh, to say, turn to the most important chapter of the Bible. Well, we were trying to figure out what was the most important chapter of the Bible. And uh, he said, it's 1 Corinthians 15. And then he went on to explain that without the resurrection, as stated here in this passage of Scripture, we are hopeless. However, because Christ has been raised from the dead by the power of God, we have eternal life. Everything we believe about God, everything we've come to know and understand about God, is revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that Jesus taught from the Father is verified in the resurrection of Christ. Had Christ not been raised from the dead, his teachings might have been something good, but not from God. And so the resurrection verified the very words of Jesus to confirm that these were words from the Lord God himself, which means that we hear truth when we hear Jesus speak about the, re the resurrection that's going to come. Today, I want you to listen with me uh, for about the word grace and how Paul uses this term grace to understand the salvation that we have from God, how God has shaped us, and also how we serve the true and living God by his grace. Beginning in chapter 15 and verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I also preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now this is the baptism formula that we use when we baptize someone. Last Sunday we baptized a young man named Joshua Story. And Joshua's story goes like this. He and his family began to listen to the worship services through Facebook, the live streaming. And so they had opportunity to get together on Sunday at their home and listen to the church services. Before the church shut down uh, due to the COVID crisis, they were able to attend church and did so for many years. But now having the church shut down, they were forced to come together around the um, computer screen and follow along. And so this became a tradition of the family, a new, new tradition in the family. And Joshua heard the message of the gospel and he determined through the leadership of the Holy Spirit as God spoke to him that he needed to be saved. And so when his grandpa called me and said, I need you to talk to my grandson, that would be Tommy's story. And I said, absolutely. We met on a Saturday afternoon here, and uh, I heard the sweetest testimony from a young man who said, I knew that I needed to be saved. Now, I don't hear that phrase too often these days, 
that's an old Baptist word we use uh, in the old days. A person gets saved. A person needs to be saved. Uh, but it's a Bible word. We're going to see it used right here in the passage that we just read. It's a Bible word. It's a Bible word that we need to revise and come to understand. For by the grace of God, we are saved. We are saved from our sins. We are saved from punishment. We are saved from death and hell. And so to use the word saved is not an old-fashioned, out-of-date term. It's a very relevant term. It just needs to be used. It needs to be preached uh, more often. And so um, Joshua heard that. And he received Christ as his Savior and Lord. Came forward the second Sunday, and uh, his mother came with him because she was a member still of Cold Springs and uh, united with our church and with her son. And so that Sunday afternoon, we went to the old chapel, went to the baptistry there, and we baptized him. And we had a marvelous time of fellowship together, celebrating baptism. And I share that story with you to give thanks for those of you who have donated this camera uh, that we could have one of the best broadcasts around this country for Facebook live streaming and on the internet as well uh, because you have generously given this camera to make this uh, possible. So thank you for that and know that the ministry investment that you made has gone on to reach uh, someone's life, their heart with the gospel and change them. So this is the baptismal formula that we use for Joshua. We ask Joshua, do you believe, number one, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures? Do you believe that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead by the power of God? Do you believe this? And when that candidate says, yes, I believe, then we baptize them as Jesus instructed us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we did uh, last Sunday morning. And everyone applauded and cheered because it is a time of rejoicing. Now, in verse 5, uh, he says that Jesus appeared also to Peter and then to the rest of the twelve. Christ made his resurrection appearances known to these disciples as they waited for him to reveal himself and to be glorified in front of them. It was no rumor that Christ had been raised from the dead. It was no hearsay that Christ had been raised from the dead. There was a rumor circulating around in the New Testament day that perhaps someone did steal the body of Jesus. But that's why the Bible says that there was a stone and some guards put up the entrance of the tomb so that this rumor about someone stealing the body of Jesus could not be, um, uh, uh, could not be true. And so that, that rumor or that, that uh, gossip was put to rest by, number one, the guards who were there, number two, the angels who were there, Mary who was there, and now the appearing of Jesus to the twelve. Verse 6 says, After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Now it's amazing that Jesus in his resurrection body could travel without the hold back, if you will, of gravitation. He, he could be here one moment and he could be miles away the next moment. Um, gravitation did not hinder him from travel and in that resurrection body he could be wherever he needed to be in a moment, in an instant uh, period of time. Now that's the resurrection body that you and I are going to have when we are raised from the dead. 
when Christ returns. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that resurrection body. That this old body is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. It is sown as a decaying body, but it will be raised as a never-dying body and will live forever in God's holy heaven. We will know each other in this heavenly body, this spiritual body, and we will be able to dine and eat together in this heavenly body. Revelation 19 says, Blessed is he that's invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I believe there will be biscuits and fried chicken and all that there because they had fish tacos uh, in John chapter 21. And so uh, if they can have fish tacos uh, with Jesus who lived in that resurrection body and he could enjoy that with the disciples, so you and I will be able to eat in the resurrection body in God's holy heaven. Looking forward to that. And so um, uh, that's what First Corinthians is really all about is the resurrection of Christ and the verification of all that he taught and all that he said was not a lunatic, he was not crazy, uh, he was not a liar, he was truly Lord. He was truly Lord. Uh, verse 7 uh, says, um, 6 says, After that he appeared more than 500 at a time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So, there were those who were still alive here in 1 Corinthians 15 who still were um, witnesses to the resurre resurrection of Christ. Verse 7, he appeared to James. Now James goes on to be the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. And he is the one that God used to bring together a decision of the Jerusalem council about what it required to be a Christian. In order to be a Christian, were you to keep the law of Moses and to be circumcised, or were you to become a Christian simply by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ? And that was the controversy in Jerusalem that required a council's decision. And they prayed about it, and they said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that we do the following, that we admit Gentiles into the body of Christ and call them Christian and believers simply by their believing in Jesus Christ and also tell them to refrain from eating food sacrificed to idols. In other words, show evidence of some sanctification, some spiritual growth in your life that you're no longer tied to the idols of an old way of living. And so these Gentiles were simply baptized and then they were received into the church as full members of the church. In the book of Acts, uh, Peter was taught by the Holy Spirit to recognize that the Gentiles could be accepted into the church simply by believing. And uh, Peter rejected that at first, and God spoke to him in a dream. And in this dream, God showed him all the foods that he could eat. And these were foods that contained prohibition from the Old Testament law such as catfish, can't eat catfish, can't eat pork. And so those were in that, in that uh, uh, um, sheet that came down from heaven. This, did, this happened three times. And Peter said, Lord, I can't eat these things. And God says, whatever I have cleansed, it's okay for you to consume. And so Peter learned a hard lesson that God brings cleansing power to all who believe in him 
not just the Jews only. And after that, Peter went to preach to the Gentiles also. Now in verse 9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. The early church was afraid of Paul, because uh, everywhere he went, the people said, Scatter, run for your life, because this man has come to put all the believers in jail and in, in, in prison. And so uh, Barnabas was the one who introduced Paul to the early church and said, I know this man, and I know that he's changed, and he is an instrument of God, and if you will listen to him, he will teach you something about the Lord. And so what Barnabas did by introducing Paul to the early church, we call that the ministry of introduction. The ministry of introduction. So verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, then, I am what I am. What a marvelous statement. We are who we are because of the grace of God. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Will you bow your heads with me? as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this deep and abiding Word of God that anchors our thoughts today in the grace of God, this marvelous grace of God that has saved us, has shaped us, and sent us out to serve. We ask, O oh Lord, that we will be uh, faithful to live in this grace, not to take this grace for advantage, um, but to, Lord, always uh, be grateful for uh, this grace of God and and respectful for the grace of God that we have received. We thank you, Lord, for looking upon us with grace and mercy, for we would not be alive today without your grace and mercy in our life. We have more than we need. We have enough through Jesus and through the grace of Almighty God. May we praise you. May we treasure this grace that is free to all who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, in verse 2, we hear Paul say, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, <clears throat> unless you believed in vain. We are saved by the grace of God. I love the scripture from Ephesians says that, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not at your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man should boast. So we are saved by the grace of God. Now, we have a great debate among us today that says this grace of God is irresistible. That when God puts his offer to you, this opportunity to believe, his grace is so strong that you cannot resist his grace. And therefore, you just passively believe. The Bible never says that some people were born to believe and others were born to resist the grace of God. We all have that opportunity when we hear the gospel, when we hear about Jesus' death, burial, and re resurrection from the grave, when we hear that good news, we all have the opportunity to believe in Christ. This is the grace of God to all of us. This says something about the great love of God. God's love is not for just a particular people called the Jews. The love of God is for everyone who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who have not yet heard the gospel, they need to hear the gospel. How shall they believe if one is not sent? And how shall they 
um, here if there's not someone to preach? And how will they preach if they haven't been sent, the Apostle Paul says. So let's think very carefully about the world situation in which we live. We think everybody has heard about the gospel and the grace of Christ. Truth is, most people have not. You would think that with Facebook, you would think that with the radio broadcast that we have, you would think that with TV and so forth, that everybody in America has heard about Jesus and knows about the grace of God. Go with me on a mission trip. Go with me to Ohio. Go with me to eastern Kentucky. Go with me to the west end of Louisville. Go with me to parts of this great state of Kentucky. Go into the areas where you think people, the gospel is saturated. And you will find people that have been so uh, closed in, that have been so guarded against the gospel, they have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You think that's hard to believe in a day and age in which we live. But folks, that is true. That is sad and that is true. When you wonder today how many people got up and actually attended church, who actually made an effort to go and to be together in the house of God, less than 20% of the people of this state made such an effort this morning. Less than 20% of the people of this state bothered to get out of bed, bothered to get dressed, bothered to get themselves together and get to a house of worship somewhere, whether uh, together by internet or together in person, less than 20%. That tells me that there are people yet to hear about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never fallen under the conviction of the gospel. They've never received that Holy Spirit anointment that says in the heart of every person everywhere, there's something missing in your life. There's something missing in your life. I hear people tell me all the time, I don't hear God speak. Well, friend, God is speaking. The problem is, are we listening? Are we listening through the Word? Are we, are we hearing God speak through creation? Are we hearing God speak through other people? God is speaking all the time, and He's trying to say to you that He loves you. He doesn't want you to die and spend eternity in hell. That He's prepared a way of salvation for you. And that is the grace activity of God in your life to be saved. And the only way you can be saved is to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of sin, come into your life, and take charge of your life, and be Lord of your life. That's how you're saved. And this is the effectual work of the grace of God to make this happen in your life. You're not saved because you have some effort. Uh, God doesn't... Uh, God doesn't uh, uh, reward effort, but He does reward earnest faith. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, we can be saved. It's those who refuse to believe, those who are self-centered, those who are lost, those who are given in to their own agendas and their own desires that have no conscious effort today to think about and praise Almighty God. We have we become hard of hearing. The Bible says that day would come. The Bible says in Jeremiah, the Bible says in Isaiah, that that day will come. They'll have ears to hear, but they will not hear. They'll have eyes to see, but they will not see. What are people looking at? Well, they're looking at what's on TV. And the TV is not proclaiming the gospel. What do people see? They, they see what they read on the Internet. But the internet is not broadcasting the gospel. There are a few efforts being made, 
but uh, it doesn't cover everyone that's listening. There are so many gaps out there to hearing and to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our role is to continue that gospel message of salvation to all of the world. And that's why we believe in the cooperative program. Appreciate you mentioning about the cooperative program earlier, how the giving to the cooperative pro program uh, came about after the uh, 1918 pan pandemic. And, in and uh, really 1945 was when the cooperative program was started in the state of Kentucky, I might say, at Murray Baptist Church, where Southern Baptists got together and, and said, we need to coordinate our efforts to keep missionaries on the field and to minister to those here in the United States and to fund our seminaries and to bring about more preachers who will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I think about the number of men who were on the dormitory floor that I lived on at Southern Seminary who are today serving in the church and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you know how many come to my mind? Up and down that hallway, there was about 40 young men who said they had dedicated themselves to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know how many are preaching today? There was two. Bobby Joby from Latrobe. We loved Bob. Bob passed away just a few years ago. But as I look up and down that hallway and I see all those men who could be out preaching, I'll tell you, it breaks my heart. We're offering theological education better than we've ever offered in the history of the world. And people are getting some kind of theological training. For whatever reason, I don't know, it's the hardest study you'll ever do with your life. But to then turn to the church and say, I'm not available, I believe that's sin of our time. I really do. I believe that's a sin of our time. I believe we're looking at the grace of God and saying, it's not for everybody. I believe we're saying to the world, I got mine, you get yours the best you can. I believe that's what we're saying. And I believe one of the reasons that we are falling so far behind in reaching this world with the gospel of Christ is that we don't think everybody needs to hear the gospel. I thank God today for those souls that will keep serving, keep pastoring, keep preaching, keep teaching, keep leading, keep serving, keep being missionaries, keep, keep on the firing line of sharing this gift of grace called salvation by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And may there be more. Uh, my youngest son told me, said, Dad, I'm thinking about going back to seminary. I said, why would you want to do that, son? Um, when he graduated, his health was in such in poor condition, he could hardly wear the shoes he had on his feet. His legs were swelled so bad. He needed heart surgery. And um, he told me that day, he said, Daddy, come heck or high water, I'm going to walk across that stage. And he did. And now he's going to go back to seminary and do it again. And I said, well, son, why do you, you want to 
beat yourself up like that. It's hard work. He said, I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. And he said, my church is paying for it. So I thought, that's a good reason, son. That's, why, that's another good reason why you ought to be serving the Lord and uh, developing your education. Thank God for the churches out there that believe in keeping the pipeline filled with students who are going to serve the Lord in some way. Um, I, I, I know everybody isn't called to preach. I understand that. And I'm glad that some guys figured that out early enough to, to get out of the way and let, let others do the preaching and the teaching. We're not all called to be the same. We have different gifts. But it's just amazing to me how, how many people go through a theological education of three years and never serve the church. I just don't get it. So I, I pray there will be more. I pray there will be some of you listening to me right now who will be convicted by the Holy Spirit and say, I need to step up. I need to serve. I need to be uh, a, a servant for a certain age group in the church. I need to be available to God for whatever he wants me to do. Don't, don't look at the grace of God as something that God has given just you for yourself. See the grace of God as God's gift to you that will spill on to others so that others will come to know Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. We are saved by the grace of God. Number two, we are shaped by the grace of God. It is God's grace that shapes us. Yes, shapes us. He molds you into who He designed for you to be by His grace in your life. Look in verse 10. Paul said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, for Paul to say that meant that he had to let go of every claim and title to success and achievement. If anybody had a list of titles to offer as credentials, the Apostle Paul did. And he mentions them several times in the scriptures. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, w I graduated from the seminary in Jerusalem. Gamaliel was my major professor. Um, I'm, I'm uh, well grounded in the Hebrew language. He had memorized most of the Old Testament Bible. I mean, he could bring it up, quote it to you just like that, and do it in the original language. That's why Paul was so keen on finding the scriptures in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus because he knew his Old Testament that well. And for him to say, I have all these degrees and I have all these credentials, and to have met Jesus and find out that he really had nothing to offer God. He was on the wrong side of history. He was persecuting the people of God. He was persecuting the church. He was on the wrong side of history. And so the Bible says the Lord Jesus put a blindness on him and humbled him so that he could not see like he thought he could see. He was not the macho man he thought he was. And he was literally helpless and dependent. I think there's a life lesson right here. When you and I get to the point that we are helpless and dependent entirely on other people, 
I think that's when we allow God to begin to shape us. Until we can give up control of our own life and destiny in such a way that we say, God, without your help, I wouldn't make it today, then we begin to discover that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. Now, I remember being in the rehab center twice. I remember not being able to walk except with the help of a wheelchair. And I remember rolling myself up to the, to the breakfast table with the other residents there who knew they were not going to get to go home ever. And I had hoped that I would. I became like my wife's mother. She was in rehab one time. And they, they tried to make it more comfortable for her. And they said, Miss Ruby, uh, can we bring you a pillow from home? She said, no, because I'm not staying. <laughs> that was her determination that she wasn't going to stay. And, and she did get out. And I had that same kind of de determination. But if somebody didn't come and change my bandage, if somebody didn't come and feed me, I could not change my bandage. I could not be fed. If somebody did not teach me how to lift a one-pound rod and do this like this with it, I would not have been able to do that. I was totally dependent upon the grace of God. But my life changed. I know now what it's like to sit at that table and wait for what you hope will be a good meal. I know what that's like now. I know what it's like for the guy who's the cook to say, I've cooked y'all some red beans and rice. And everybody just perks up. Red beans, and we love his red beans and rice. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be quite a treat. And then he said, but I'm going to be going on vacation for two weeks. I know what that's like. I know what it's like for the doctor to say, you almost didn't make it. You almost didn't make it. I know what it's like for one doctor told me, I didn't think you would make it. I know what that's like. And yet here I stand today, fat as a hog, happy as a kitty cat can ever be, giddy almost. My wife Linda and I were eating supper the other night. We had some delicious catfish that, that Tommy Stewart gave to us. And I said, don't, don't we have it good? Aren't we blessed? And we are. Because of the grace of God. So when I go through the kinds of troubles that Paul goes through, Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he didn't like hanging around him. He asked God to deliver him from it. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace shapes us. Shapes us to be more like Jesus. And that's the whole goal of life. You get to heaven, God's not going to ask you, how come you weren't Moses? God's not going to ask you how come you weren't Mary or Ruth or Esther. He's going to ask you, how come you weren't you? The one that I made for my glory. We all have our strengths and our struggles, but we're uniquely shaped by the grace of Almighty God as we allow Him to mold us. Well, third and finally, we serve 
by the grace of God also. Verse 11, he writes these words. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believe. We keep on serving by the grace of God. I pray that you will find your times of tiredness and not meet it with complaint, but in your time of tiredness, you will meet it with rest. God wants you to rest. You have the right to rest. And it is in that resting that you begin to reflect on the grace of God. You'll come to understand a lot of things. You'll come to understand that God's mercy is what he doesn't give me that I should have. And uh, God's grace is what he gives me that I don't deserve. I always have more than I deserve because of the grace of God. And there is a reserve that comes to us in this resiliency of the well of resting. Jesus took time to rest by a well. And a woman came to him who needed to be ministered to, and he needed to be present to her to help her understand her own history, her own struggles. She'd been through so much. You ever meet somebody that's been through so much stuff in their life, they don't know what they've been through? They just need you to kind of help make sense of it? Well, that's what Jesus was doing to this woman. She'd been through five marriages, and none of them worked out. She's been used and abused by all kinds of men, and now symbolically she comes to a well because she's thirsty, and she comes at a time of day when no other women come. So you know she feels lonely. You know she feels weird. And uh, she feels shamed. And Jesus is sitting by the well. And he said, let's drink water together. And she says, I can't do that. I can't serve you. You're a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Samaritan. He said, well, who told you that? What does that mean? Well, she said, there's a big religious difference between you Jews and us Gentiles. And he said, later the day is coming when there's going to be no religious differences between the Jews and Gentiles. He said, in the mountain on Jerusalem, we're all going to worship the one God, our Father who is in heaven. And if you'll drink from this well, you'll never thirst again, and you'll join us in this worship. And she did. She got so excited about this fresh water, this fresh insight that she received from Jesus, she left her water bucket at the well, went back to town where she came from, and she told everybody, you got to come find Jesus who made sense of my life. He gave me a whole new identity. She found a purpose in life. She found, she found a place to serve. She found out what her life was all about. She was so energized by it, she didn't need the bucket of water anymore. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, my food is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. My family are those who do the will of God with me. Come join me if you're willing to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Come and follow me. His grace really is enough. I'm covered with his blood. His grace is is enough for me. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your grace. 
greater than all of our sin. Giving us salvation, giving us an identity and a purpose in life, giving us resilience to serve. Lord, may we never take this grace for granted. May we share this grace with other people and dedicate our lives to living out in this grace. Never do we have to live ashamed. Never do we have to live anymore in guilt. But we live now in freedom to become the men and the women that you created us to be in Jesus Christ. Lord, get us through this, globe, this COVID crisis, I pray. Remind us the day will come when we will not have to worry about it anymore. But Lord, in the meantime, keep us together as we seek to be stewards of our health, stewards of our wellness, and that when we do return in a couple of weeks, there will be a higher attendance, greater giving, greater rejoicing, greater appreciation for your grace that gets us through it. Pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And all who agreed said, Amen.